0: Hello and welcome to episode 87 of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast, I'm Adam. Today's story comes from beautiful Cornwall in February 2014. A very odd event rocked the seaside town of Perrenporth. But before we get to that, I'd like to thank my supporters on Patreon, especially this week's new supporters. That's Debbie Robertson, Georgina Ellis, Katie McGregor, Matthew Manning and Steve Davison. Thank you so much for your support. This week saw the release of bonus episode number 17, so please do head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime to join this special group of people whose support means I can publish a weekly podcast. So to set some context for today, let's take a look at the music charts of the time. At number one in the UK was Clean Bandit, featuring Jesse Lynn with Rather Be. Keeping Pharrell with Happy from top of the charts. In the UK, it was Katy Perry featuring Juicy J with Dark Horse. No more porn jokes. And in Australia, Happy was in the top spot. In the news this month, 14 people were killed after Mount Sinaberg erupted in Indonesia. Same-sex marriage was finally legalised in Scotland. Hurrah! About time too. Jay Leno ended his time on The Tonight Show. And the Winter Olympics opened in Sochi, Russia. 12 Years a Slave won at the BAFTAs. Great film, but boy was it long. Like my podcasts. I like my films to be to the point and snappy. There were also violent scenes in Ukraine this month. As I know so little about the politics in the area, I won't comment further, except to say that like many of you, I was both shocked and frightened by the events. So on to today's story. I need to say a special thank you to Cornwall Live, whose reports enabled me to piece together lots of the facts around this story. As you probably know, Cornwall Live is a major online news source for Cornwall, which is the most southwestern county in the UK, around 260 miles southwest of London and 8 miles southwest of Newquay. Perranporth is one of the jewels of Cornwall's north coast with its miles of golden beach and extensive sand dunes. It's a great place for many sports, but especially surfing and kite surfing. A place popular with holidaymakers, there was a real shock in February 2014, when the body of a mature male washed up on the beach. It was 2pm when an off-duty policeman and his wife were strolling along the beach at high tide. In the winter, the beach at Porth is arguably even more beautiful, with often ferocious surf and many fewer holiday makers. It can make the experience feel more intensely personal I think. In a later statement, the off duty officer said that he and his wife initially saw a shape at the water's edge, and they joked that it looked like a body. As you would, as you would never ever expect a body, would you? Well, unless you are like us, a true crime fanatic when you'd expect it to be a body, and everything you see takes a suspicious turn. I didn't believe it was a body. I thought it was probably a couple of plastic containers, he said. His wife walked closer and shouted to her husband that it was indeed a body. He added, it was an adult male who had his face down in the sand. He was naked apart from a trainer. The incoming tide was washing up around the body. I could see a small amount of blood in the seawater next to the head. I noticed a cord headphones, I think, hanging down the man's torso. So the officer called 999 and arranged for the body to be covered and moved due to concerns it would wash into the sea with the tide. The beach was immediately closed off and the man was declared deceased at the scene by paramedics at 2.37pm before his body is removed and taken to the Royal Cornwall Hospital. Detectives did not know the identity of the man, and they did not believe he matched any of their current missing people in the area. But after working with the Human Identification and Forensic Arts Consultancy Services, to create an image of how the man might have appeared when alive, they pushed out the image to the public, desperate for someone to tell them who it was. As they sent the images to the media, and issued appeals for the public to come forward and tell them the identity. They didn't give too much information initially about what they suspected had happened to the man, just saying that to detectives the injuries were not consistent with drowning, couldn't easily be explained, and that they were treating the death as suspicious. The man, who was wearing only a pair of socks and one shoe, had injuries to the chest, head and hand he'd also suffered significant internal injuries. The national media suddenly started to take interest when they were told that the man had headphones in his mouth as well as a rolled up sock. The white Apple iPhone or iPod style headphones were said to be looped around the back of the sock and were trailing out of his mouth. A spokesman said that the possibility he was on a boat in the area was one of many possible lines of inquiry. Detective Chief Inspector Dave Thorne said that identifying the man was key to their investigation. Without knowing who he is, it's very difficult to find out what happened to him and establish the circumstances surrounding his death. So the force issued photographs, including a picture of a young boy dated the 13th of April 1952, a green and blue rucksack and a woolly hat that were found near the body on Perrenporth Beach. Police were unsure whether the items belonged to the dead man or if they were lost by someone who was visiting the beach. But the publicity worked and two family members came forward to identify the dead man as 64-year-old Alan Geel of nearby Weybridge. In a statement, the family said, Alan was a mild-mannered gentleman who was very interested in minerals, mining and surfing. We are shocked and deeply saddened that Alan's life had been cut short and we are desperate for answers as to what happened. His sister, Linda Daniels, said, I never said goodbye or gave him a final treat of any kind. If something happened at the end where he needed help and support, I was not there to help. I want to wake up and think it's all a nightmare, but realise it's not, and there is no happy ending. Detectives urgently started work uncovering all the information they could about Alan Geal. He was born in London but adopted and grew up in Cornwall, attending Bodmin Grammar School alongside his brother Derek and his sister Linda. He was sporty, developing early on a love for surfing and he also played squash to a good standard in local leagues as well as representing a local pool team. Other interests included sports cars, photography, beekeeping, mining and mineral collecting. He was extremely well read with his main genres of interest being science fiction and detective stories. As well as this, he had a keen interest in technology and he enjoyed computing, online gaming and computer programming. His peers noted his intelligence and at one time he was part of the technician team that helped Dr Peter Mitchell in his Nobel Prize winning research at the Glynn Research Institute in Bodmin. He then trained as an electrician working for himself in the Cornwall area, until he took the decision to retire in 2003, in his early 50s. But after his early retirement, he became much less sociable. He sold his property near the beach, where he'd grown up, and he moved to Weybridge, where he lived a quiet life, not spending time with many people at all. His brother Derek described it as follows. Alan lived to surf, and he was a surf type, He lived a casual and relaxed lifestyle and he was a reclusive type with only a small circle of friends. But the description of him as reclusive proved very accurate as during the inquiry it seemed in the last few months of his life he'd barely spoken to anyone, not for any length of time anyway. The investigating officer in the case, Detective Inspector Steve Hambly said we carried out inquiries trying to find out whom Alan was associated. I have to say we've not been able to find anyone who would fit that mould. His last known social interaction was around New Year 2014, and that is the only person who Alan had any social interaction with in the last few months of his life. This of course made the inquiry even more difficult. And if that seems surprising, then you need to consider that Alan had none of the interaction you'd have at work or college, and he didn't claim benefits, so he wouldn't have to speak to anyone in authority. He didn't shop much, but there were some surprising purchases in the final weeks of his life, which included ankle weights and a weighted training vest from Amazon. He'd also bought the odd bottle of wine here and there. But Alan wasn't in the habit of exercising, so, detectives were puzzled by the purchase of the weights and the vest. But luckily, aided by CCTV, investigators were able to piece together clearly his movements in the last 24 hours of his life. At 8.30am on Monday, the 24th of February 2014, Alan Gill turned on his computer. By 11.52, he was walking past Bridge Tools on Govina Hill in Weybridge. Having left his home at St. Giles House further up the road. He was then seen on camera eighteen minutes later, withdrawing a hundred pounds in cash from the Barclays cash machine on Molsworth Street, before entering the nearby co-op, where he spent two pounds forty on a box of plasters and a newspaper. He then returned to his house and computer, where he searched for information on buses in the local area for later that day. Interestingly, Witnesses recall hearing Ray's voices from his flat at 12.50pm, which you wouldn't expect due to his lack of company. There is no further information about who Alan was with at this time. Later that afternoon at 4.41pm, Alan shut down his computer, which was out of character with the rest of his computer activity in 2014. He didn't usually shut it down. And four minutes later, he was once more outside Bridge Tools, heading into the centre of Weybridge, but this time wearing a light blue raincoat which has never been recovered and carrying a rucksack on his back. Another puzzling factor is that Alan paid little attention to his appearance and yet was wearing different clothes to those he was seen wearing earlier in the day. He then caught another bus from Weybridge to Truro, where he arrived at 6.14pm. Quite why he made this trip is uncertain, as when he arrived there, he spent around half an hour walking the town centre, with the last sighting seeing him walking towards the public toilets at the Leeds, before he took another bus to Newquay, which arrived just after quarter past eight. Again, once he was in Newquay, he wandered around the town centre with no seeming purpose, it looked aimless, before taking the 9.15pm service to Peramporth. The last known sighting of Alan Geal alive was at 10.27pm when CCTV footage captured him walking along Beach Road in Perrenporth close to the spot where his body was found. So how did he end up dead? Was it suicide? Was it murder? Or was it an accident? One theory is that Alan put the sock in his own mouth and died as a result of indulging in an act of auto-eroticism. Parts of the dunes at Perrenporth are understood to be used as a nudist site, and it's also a place where gay men are known to go to have sex. Although police could gather no evidence that Alan was gay or that he was interested in this sort of cruising activity in the dunes. Had he had a sexual encounter that led to him being murdered? Detective Inspector Hambly of Cornwall Police wasn't convinced by this explanation, saying, We have no reason to believe that Alan ever visited Perrenporth for that reason, or that he had any interest in nudism. He said, We're talking 10.30pm on a Tuesday night in February. It's something we've looked at, but it's not something that's come out with too many legs. Could it have been suicide? This could explain why Alan had returned to Perrenporth, as men often tend to take their own lives at places of historical significance to them. It could also explain the sock in the mouth, as it's sometimes the case that someone killing themselves may block their mouth to prevent the distressing noises before death. A Coast Guard said that in his experience, it's not unusual for people wishing to end their own lives to use objects in their mouths to conceal these distressing sounds. He said, People do it to stop people from hearing what's going on, not wanting people to hear screams or involuntary noises. Suicide could also explain the ankle weights and the vest to help weigh down his body. A navy regatta jacket was found near his body, and inside the jacket pocket was Alan's wallet, containing a photograph of him as a two-year-old boy, and he did have very fond memories from his childhood of Perrenporth. But if it was suicide, why did he take such a long route to get there, and why withdraw cash if he was going to kill himself? Even though he was over twice the drink drive limit when he was found, was this really a likely method of suicide? The coroner certainly wasn't convinced, saying, The visit to Peramporth is unlikely to have been a recreational visit. I have considered if Alan has taken his own life, but certainly has left no note or indication that this was his plan. That said, his movements on the 24th of February do appear out of character, Whilst I can't discount that Alan's death was a result of suicide, there are many aspects that would tend to contradict this. Could it just have been an innocent death due to an accident? Could Alan have stumbled into the water and been overpowered by the surf or caught by the undertow? Or fallen from one of the nearby cliffs? At the inquest, pathologist Dr Jeffrey said she had to consider a scenario where Alan had suffered the injuries to his body whilst lying in the water, We've heard this before on this podcast with bodies being tossed against rocks or other flotsam in the sea, so this was a possibility. But the police had said from the outset that they didn't believe the injuries on his body were the result of being in the sea. However, Jefferies said that the injuries were much more likely to have been sustained as a result of a fall from height. Could this have been from a boat? But surely not high enough, and also late on a February evening this was highly unlikely. Or had he gone further afield from where he was found and climbed a cliff and fallen late that night? Again, it seems unlikely. Alan also had an unexplained wound on the palm of his hand which resembled a cut. Dr. Jeffrey said the injury could have been caused by a sharp object in the sea but she could not rule out contact with a knife although there were no other possible stab wounds on the body. But didn't the sock and headphones found in his mouth? Point towards the fact that Alan's death was no accident. Forensic pathologist Jeffrey said that the circumstances were highly unusual. The sock was blocking the back of the throat with a set of headphones looped behind the sock. The sock was partly clenched between the teeth, she said. The sock matched socks found in his home, which supports the possibility that they were his own. It causes a degree of concern, she continued. It might be entirely innocent, but we simply cannot say. It is clear that the sock was purposely stuffed in his mouth. It would be a rather unusual thing to do to oneself. I'm not aware of this being a recommended practice of taking your own life. It is possible that the headphones were inadvertently dragged into the mouth at the same time the sock was inserted. So it would suggest that the sock was inserted in a hurried manner. Dr. Jeffrey also did not rule out the possibility that the sock was used for autoerotic asphyxiation, where people intentionally restrict the flow of oxygen to the brain for the purposes of increased sexual arousal. Dr. Jeffrey concluded that Alan Gill died as a result of drowning. In addition to the significant injuries suffered, the most likely scenario is that the injuries were caused by a fall from height and drowning then occurred in the water, she said. He died partially as a result of head and chest injuries, as well as the drowning process. It is possible that this represents a very unusual suicide, although I cannot exclude the possibility that another person was involved in his death. I have considered that Alan's death could have been the result of a fall or accident, but I struggle to accept this as a realistic explanation. Also, a fall from rocks, the cliff or coastal paths could offer an explanation for the chest injuries and signs of drowning. But I struggle to find an explanation for the sock lodged in Alan's throat and the earphones lodged in his mouth during such a fall. Finally, I've considered if Alan's death was as a result of homicide. If this is the case, I can only assume that Alan's killer would have been a stranger to him. If Alan has been killed then the killer left no forensic link to himself on items recovered or on Alan's body. Also, the killer has not drawn attention to himself by being seen by witnesses or on CCTV. Robbery does not appear to have been a motive considering the cash, £95, was found in the wallet. In the absence of further information, I personally remain open-minded as to the circumstances of Alan's death. The senior coroner for Cornwall, returned an open conclusion. She said, I find it is not possible to exclude an intentional death, an accidental death, or the involvement of others. After the hearing, Alan's brother Derek said, Alan lived to surf and he was a surf type. He was interested in surfing and photography. We are so shocked and deeply saddened by his death and we are desperate for answers. I cannot imagine why anyone would want to hurt Alan let alone kill him. But this is such an unusual death, so it needs explaining. We need to get to the bottom of what happened. So what do you make of what we've heard today? What happened to Alan Geal? Even an appeal on the true crime enthusiast's favourite show, Crime Watch, couldn't supply an answer. As we've heard, there are lots of theories about what happened to Alan. When he was first reported missing, detectives asked for assistance from the online gaming community who knew him. It has been suggested by some that the most likely outcome is that Alan met somebody from this community and was then mugged or attacked and either murdered or the incident had such a bad effect on him that he then chose to end his life. Or maybe it was someone he met whilst in the sand dunes of Perinporth who killed him. After all, when he was initially found... Police were asking for information from the gay community, known to be active at Perenporth for any information. And who were the raised voices from his flat earlier in the day? Assuming it wasn't a rare visitor, this is likely to have been someone he was talking with online or on the phone. But surely with his seemingly aimless wandering about in different places, he must have been looking for someone, rather than just killing time waiting for buses. With the money he'd withdrawn, he could have got a taxi. Or was it a group of thrill-seeking teenagers who killed him for kicks? As we know, this scarily isn't as unlikely a scenario as we may like to believe. But then teenagers usually have to tell someone about their act as it's part of the thrill. So could they have kept this a secret? Or did he just bump into the wrong person at the wrong time and was murdered by that person? The light blue raincoat he was seen wearing in Truro on Monday the 24th of February has not been found. The navy regatta jacket found on the beach next to him is thought to be different from the one he was seen wearing in the CCTV images. Where are they? Some of Alan's other belongings are still missing, including a Barclays Bank current account card, a Barclays card credit card, a Nokia mobile phone, a third generation iPod Shuffle and the rest of the clothes he was wearing. But many feel this is unlikely in Perenporth, late on a February night, and that suicide is the most likely option. After all, unless they live a very secretive life, men of 64 aren't in the demographic who are regularly murdered and dumped in the water. But suicide is very common in men of this age, especially someone who's withdrawn from society so much Unlikely likely to be suffering from loneliness. And also, why else would the weights be bought, if not to help him end his own life? And there is a lot of weight being placed on the picture of him as just two, being found in the nearby wallet. This sort of sentimentality points towards suicide, doesn't it? I'm not sure what I believe happened, but I would suggest, my best guess, is that the evidence suggests he was murdered. But what do you think? And will the family and friends of Alan Geal ever receive the answer to the mystery of his death? Please join us at the Facebook group to share your thoughts on this story or any other aspect of UK True Crime. Please also head to patreon.com to listen to the 17 full-length bonus episodes and other exclusive content. That's patreon.com slash UK True Crime. Thank you ever so much for listening.